You're listening to the Sixers Beat with your host, Derek Bodner, right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner. I'm joined by Rich Hoffman on the latest Sixers Beat. Uh, real quick before we begin, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn Radio app. And also, if you don't like any of those, you can get the RSS feed over at SixersBeat.com. Also, check out the CLNS Radio app uh, where you can find Real GM Radio, B-Ball Breakdown, and Sam Vecini's Game Theory Podcast. I guess real quick, what we'll we'll talk about today is mostly going to be about the um, press conferences that happened over the last few days, Thursday with the players, Friday with Brett Brown and Brian Colangelo, and what came from that. You know, there's a lot of stuff about Ben Simmons, how he's going to be used. There was Ben Simmons talking for the first time since the beginning of the season, so we'll have some reactions to that. But, uh, hey, Rich, how you doing? I'm good, Derek. I'm, I'm happy we finally got some actual stuff to talk about instead of just, <laughs> yeah. just yeah. guessing um, how many ping pong balls the Sixers are going to get. Which, which now, now we know, which is, which is great too. Also, I guess this probably happened since last time we recorded. Joel Embiid, it, it came out that Joel Embiid thought his meniscus tear was going to be, his meniscus was fully torn and he could miss six months because of that. Probably, probably should address that. And also, Ben Simmons has been cleared and I guess to a lesser degree, lesser degree. So has Jared Bayless. But I guess real quick before we get into what happened over the end of the week last week. You know, what are your thoughts on the news about Joel Embiid and that he could have missed six months and not been ready for training camp and all that stuff, which I don't think any of us even considered was a possibility? Yeah, and I mean, again, a part of this is going to bleed into what Colangelo said yesterday because he was asked that question directly. But, yeah, it was certainly a shock. It made for a great headline, obviously, that he thought going into the surgery – and it was in a, it was an ESPN.com story by Jackie McMullen where basically Embiid, the the fresh prince of the Pacific Palisades, he's out there just just chilling, maxing, relaxing, all cool out there. And he uh, he basically told her that going into the surgery, he thought he was going to miss six months, and only until after he woke up from having that surgery, all groggy, and you know obviously. He probably had quite a few, uh, probably taken quite a few things to to sleep through those uh, through that procedure. He uh, he was groggy, and a nurse told him the good news that actually it was only going to be a couple of months, and he's going to be able to resume basketball activities in the summer. And it was just an amazing thing because obviously none of us really knew that. It was explained over the next couple of days by Colangelo that uh, that every expert told them. You weren't going to exactly know how much of the meniscus needed to be repaired until they actually got in there and did the surgery. I, again, I, I cannot emphasize enough how little of a doctor I am. But it, it was just like – it was just a shocking headline. But I, I mean – and obviously the, the first thing that went to a bunch of Sixers fans' minds was medical staff, fire these people. You know, the, the pitchforks were already being sharpened. I – it's hard to exactly know what to make of this, as we always say. But uh, but man, that would have been scary if he would have missed six months. But it, I guess the good news is that everything had been, you know, as far as the recovery time and how long, you know, it seems like he's already off crutches. Everything was almost cut in half, which uh, 
you know, I, I guess more than anything, it probably just made for a good story, but it, it certainly was concerning when you heard it. Okay, a, a quick timeline. In late January, Embiid has a bone bruise. The scan reveals a meniscus tear. They thought it was pre-existing. It's not revealed to the public. Mid-February, they finally admit the meniscus tear publicly. They maintain that it is not the source of his problems. March 1st, he has a follow-up scan, after which they say Embiid is out for the remainder of the season, and they say the previously identified meniscus tear appears more pronounced in this most recent scan. That's pretty much the extent of the update. March 24th, the team announces Embiid has minor surgery to address his torn meniscus. You know, the fact that he ended up not having a fully torn meniscus, it does kind of validate that not giving out the worst case scenario, when you weren't sure the worst case scenario was actually going to come to pass, it wasn't necessarily the wrong way to go about it. You know, in a way, the fact that it wasn't fully torn does sort of validate their approach and how they release the information, at least a little bit. And I tweeted this out before Brian Colangelo's press conference on Friday. And I have heard that this is a type of thing that can be difficult to fully diagnose until you actually get in there. You know, I don't think that they're lying about that. But man, for, for the updates to go from this, you know, his tear appears more pronounced in this most recent scan to he had successful minor surgery to now find out that and there is a possibility out there that Embiid could have been out for six months. It's just an incredible shock to everyone who hears that. And, and if he would have gone from, you know, an update that said he it, the tear appears more pronounced in his most recent scan to then after the surgery finding out that he's going to be out for six months, this town would have absolutely erupted. And it would have been entirely understandable from the fans' perspective, you know, on, on everybody's accounts, from the fans to Embiid to management. I'm happy that it turned out not to be the case. Can you imagine if he missed six months after delaying it two months? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, look, if you can't get it diagnosed, if if Joel's sitting there going, yo, man, I don't, I don't want to miss six months again. Can we, can we get a couple more opinions on this? Like, there's a part of me that kind of understands the delay. But if he would have missed the beginning of the season because they delayed two months from the time that they found out, yes, he has a torn meniscus, to the time that they operated on it, you should have been pissed off. You should have been pissed off. Yeah, it's. I, I like the way you summed it up. It's Ooh. it's understandable about why they acted, but man, it's just like their past history just just doesn't lend itself to giving them any credit at all. Right, right, exactly. If this was the one instance where things went out of control, you would go, "All right, it's you know, this is medicine. It's injuries. It's everybody's different. It's an inexact science. Shit happens." But man, does a lot of shit happen. <laughs> <laughs> That should be the name of the podcast. (laughs) Man, does a lot of shit happen. (laughs) Sixers podcast. On the positive note, Ben Simmons was cleared to resume basketball activities. He still won't commit to – he won't even commit to being ready by next training camp, which I think is going to make a lot of people panic. And I think it's more just that you know they don't want to give timelines, period, end of story. But I think some people are going to read it as, oh, my God, he might not be ready for training camp. Look, if if Ben Simmons isn't after being cleared – to resume full basketball activities. And yeah, there's a ramp up period. He might not play five on five day one, but he's, he's pretty much been medical, medically cleared to do so. If he's not ready in late September, then something really awful would happen. And again, something really awful might end up happening. They might not even tell us about it and we'll, you know, spend another season wondering why. You could have another Oak Forest situation on your hands, but he, he very much should be ready by training camp. And if he's not, there has been a setback. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was funny to see, uh, and, and as some people might say, it wasn't a coincidence, 
that it was announced on the last day of the season yeah. that Simmons would play. I mean, if he's ready for 5-on-5, five five, I think he probably should have played against the Knicks right there <laughs> on the last game of the year. They, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's 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 good news. I, I think some people I, – I have a sneaking suspicion that he was probably feeling, you know, whether or not – I mean, they had the scan only a couple days before that, but they uh, – I, I do have the sneaking suspicion that he had been feeling better. And, I mean, it's really not a suspicion because he said – when asked by, uh, I believe it was D. Lynham who asked him, "So how about that dunk when you weren't uh, that through the legs dunk when you weren't medically cleared?" And he says, "I'd been feeling okay for a while, so I, I mean, I, I think he was was okay." But like you said, he didn't give any timelines for anything. But I, I would imagine, you know, he, he said he's going to get back on the court on Tuesday and start really, you know, he, he has he didn't say he was going to play five on five next week, but he's he's working his way up there. I uh, I'll be I'll be interested to see if he plays summer league. Obviously, there was a report from Brian Winhorst that he's not expected to play summer league, and that might just be his choice. But well, he, here let's let's we're we're gonna play this later. Um, clips from that that press conference that he had. It includes that segment that you're talking about. It includes some other. A lot of the media wasn't too thrilled with the way he conducted his press conference. So and you know I think there's some. Well, let's play the clip and then we can react to it. And when do you learn? expect to do like five on five? When do I expect it? Now we know when they tell me. I mean, is there, there's no timetable. When they tell me. What specifically will you try try to do on Tuesday? Will you, uh, as far as basketball activities go, just, just uh, work out. And what'd you learn about? It's like a normal workout. What's, what's, a, normal what's workout? a normal workout? You know what it is. I don't know. Huh? Yeah, we, we don't see. We this. don't know what you're allowed to do. You know? It's a normal workout. You know, shoot, dribble, run. Are you going to summer league? Pardon? Do you want to play in the summer league? Uh, you know, if I'm ready to play, uh, I'm ready. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Did they tell you whether you will or you won't? Well, I can't play if I'm not ready. So, well, if I, you're ready, if they, I am, if you're ready, I gotta they, see if I'm ready first. Well, if you are, if huh. they tell you you will play, that's the, that's the future, though. Did you grow uh, since we uh, <laughs> since you were drafted? Are you seven feet tall? I don't know. We should get a technician. I haven't been measured since though. I think I've grown. What do you think? Do your pants fit? He's <laughs> <laughs> a little, little high right now. I, I included that last clip mostly just so you could see or hear, hear D like smirk when that question was asked. It was, it was a little bit humorous. So there, a lot of what we were talking about was included in there, and included in there was you know, will you play for summer league? And he really kind of skirted the question. And he didn't even say, if I'm ready, I'll play. He said, if I'm ready, I'm ready. It's – Summer League's in July. You know, we're talking about three months away. He's going to be fine by that point. Right. And, and again, unless there's a setback, but any player you ask, are you going to play in Summer League? It's The assumption is there isn't a setback. I do kind of agree with you. It's, it sounds like maybe – and I think part of the problem – in that whole press conference is they probably told him, look, don't go giving any timelines. Don't go guaranteeing anything. These players are drilled by the PR staff before they talk to us. And they take a real, you know, hands-on approach to doing that. And he was probably told, don't commit to anything. Don't say you're going to play in this. Don't say you're going to do that. Don't, don't give them specifics on what you can and can't do. And, you know, Ben kind of has a little bit of a standoffish aloofness, Almost some people would read it as dismissive way that he does that. And we'll see, you know, whether or not that's a, a bigger – I think a lot of, of the media is 
not too happy with him. And look, they weren't happy with Andre Iguodala too. And they read his kind of aloofness in interviews as a, you know, he, I think that was part of the problem with how he was perceived in this town. We'll see, we'll see how Ben, uh, you know, how that happens with Ben, but certainly, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's kind of weird how, how he treats the summer league. I, I do agree with you. I think you can probably read into it. He might not have all that much interest in it. And quite frankly, it's, you know, he's, he's better than players in summer league. And if he was healthy this year, he wouldn't, there probably wouldn't even be a discussion about it. Yeah. I mean, and and I think we've talked about this before, but you, you would like to see him play a couple games in summer league, just, just see him healthy, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. And as far as his uh, aloofness, I I mean, I I know a lot of media weren't very happy and it's, it's pretty interesting to see the difference between him and Embiid who, who seems to have that game basically wrapped up. He's so engaging and he's funny and, you know, I like like you said, Simmons was probably given some directives from the from the PR staff. Just don't say anything specific. Don't don't say anything that uh, will get you in trouble or you know that'll conflict with one of our decisions in the summer. And the problem is he didn't really work to talk around those things. Right. And that's what you have to do. You have to, uh, you know, you, you have to at least be engaging and at least try to uh, try to act like you're. You know, it, it's sort of like. Sort of like with Carson Wentz, I, I enjoy watching him talk because he's already got the quarterback language down. He's just like super engaging and friendly, and he'll tell you absolutely nothing. Like when you when you read what Carson Wentz says on like on the transcript, you'll be like, "Oh my god, this guy didn't say anything." But if you've talked to him, you'd be like, "All right, at least this guy wants to be here." And you know, it's like, look, it's not a requirement. It doesn't really matter how Ben right. treats the media. You know. It, if the guy goes out there and starts balling, nobody's going to care, especially the fans. And look, but, I mean, if any media member was there and they, they interpret that as Ben didn't want to be there, I'm not going to argue with you. I don't think he wanted to be there. And quite frankly, if I was an athlete, I probably wouldn't want to be there talking to the to these guys anyway, myself included. And I think that's kind of natural. But I think where a lot of people then take it is, you know, whether or not that comes kind of comes out in the locker room too and to his teammates and to his coaches. And certainly there have been reports that that has been a problem with him of, of his, you know, Australian teammates, you know, calling him, um, you know, Yank and of not really, nobody really getting along with him. There have been reports of that out there. And you could kind of see that a little bit in the press conference and the way he talked, but by the same token, that could be completely different than the way he acts in the locker room and around other people. And oh, by the way, even if he is aloof to his teammates and he does, you know, kind of almost thumb his nose down at them, it it doesn't really matter. Like there have been a lot of colossal jackasses in locker rooms win championships. You could go from Isaiah Thomas and you know Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley, and I don't know why I'm doing like an '80s '90s thing here, but for some reason that's what's coming to mind. And maybe there's a, a line you could draw of the fact that just because we give something a little more attention now doesn't mean that it's actually a bigger impact. And certainly the the game is covered differently. But I mean, even Shaq, Kobe, like there are fractured locker rooms that win. And I'm not saying Ben Simmons is going to fracture a locker room. I don't know. I'm not saying that his teammates aren't going to like him, but that's kind of the worst case scenario that people are going to jump to after one press conference. And even that worst case scenario, if he's good enough, it probably doesn't matter. And we'll see. We'll see if if this is something that his teammates read off of him as well we'll see if he changes his approach to the media we'll see if any of this even matters i don't want to i don't want to read too much out of one uh, one press conference the only thing we know he has fractured so far is his foot right. yeah they uh <laughs> as far as his uh 
the reaction to his comments. I thought it was funny, like the way the internet and new media sort of works. There's already a backlash to the backlash. You know, yes. there was, oh my god, this guy is aloof and is he a prima donna? And then there it turns into, oh my god, we're running him out of town already. Oh my god, and it's just like, let's just settle down, guys. I, I think I, I, obviously he. I don't think he's ever going to have the same type of engaging personality as somebody like Embiid, or he also doesn't have the uh, sort of the charm of Saric trying to work his way through the English language and just all the funny things he says. But like, I, from what I can tell, his teammates do like him. So, and, and we'll see if that becomes uh, if that becomes a thing. But you know, I think we got to wait and see him actually get on the court before we can start making any judgments about any of those things. Sure, and years of maturity too. Like Absolutely. how he how he reacts now might not be the same. It's it is you know I think a, a part of the problem with the reaction is that he had that reputation coming in. This to some people confirmed confirmed the the narrative that was already out there. Uh, but it's like you said, there, there's going to be overreactions both sides. You not, know what you know what I'd like to ask him honestly. I'd love to ask him what he thinks about Markel Fultz not getting any of the the same flack. That he got despite playing for a worse team. Yeah. Yep. 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 It. Uh. We all freaked out about him not making the tournament. That LSU team was head and shoulders above Washington, above NC State. We're gonna have to get over that. Uh. You know that that lazy narrative of oh he couldn't even make the NCAA tournament real quickly because a lot of not everybody's going to Kentucky and Duke these days. So it's it's, it's so weird. Obviously, I mean it. You know, I, I don't know too much about the next class, but you know, one of the best players is this guy named Michael Porter, and I mean, it it, it has to do with his father, I believe, got an assistant coaching job at. He was going to go to Washington, and now he's going to Missouri. So it's it's just interesting that we we can have like top picks in every, you know, for three straight years, basically play for bad teams. I mean, I don't think Michael Porter is going to turn Missouri into a contender right away. Yeah. It just it just seems I don't know. It seems like at least some of the top prospects have realized like I don't I don't have to play for Kentucky to get my name out there. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's been 100% true. All right, let's move on to what was actually discussed at the at the press conferences and moving more towards um you know, to Colangelo and and Brett Brown. I guess one of the takeaways was Ben Simmons' role and how you're going to play him. That was a a pretty big part of both press conferences. So we're going to start this off. There are some Thoughts from Brett first about his priorities for Simmons in the offseason, and then we're going to shift on to the point guard discussion, which never dies. I feel like if you made me shrink it and say, what's most important for Ben Simmons? Uh, two things most come to my mind. First, his ability to finish. If you really studied him at LSU, at times you don't know, is he left-handed or is he right-handed? I, I will, and I used to do this with Nerlens because at times I thought he was very left-dominant. And you can trick your players at times to, like, you know, throw it. We have a play. We need this two seconds left. Can you get the ball from one end of the floor to the other? And so we give it to Ben Simmons, and he throws, you know, rifles off a right-handed, you know, 80-foot straight-line pass on the money. You, you give, you know, somebody a ball, and you tell them to kick it. You know, he would kick it right-handed. He would write left-handed. He would shoot left-handed. And so, you know, there's a thing there that, that if you're not careful, it can become, you know, Tristan Thompson confusing. But I think it's a benefit. Like, and so we want to polish up his ability to finish using both hands. And then the second thing will be going to the free throw line. 
you all would think, oh, he's got to shoot threes. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have to do that right now. It will come in time. But we all see, I coach Tony Parker, look at, you know, Jay Kidd, look at John Wall, look at Chris Paul. It takes time. And so the mistake that we would all make would be to come in and say, oh, he's got to come in and, you know, really be a three-point shooter next year. No, he doesn't. What's most important for him is his ability to finish and his ability to make a free throw. You know, when you're talking about ambidextrous people, Tristan Thompson is not really the one you want to bring up because they did try changing his, his shooting hand. Neither really succeeded. He so still maybe, can't shoot. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, Brett eventually swung it into a positive in the fact that he, you know, they feel like they can grow both of his hands and he could really be a, a good player. That's not the case right now. He He does not finish with his left hand. I think it was... I think Kevin O'Connor, after I tweeted about uh, about throwing the ball down the court with his right hand, Kevin jumped on this because that's been that's been his thing for the last year and a half. But he had the stats right on top, and he's you know seventy five percent of his layups I think with his right hand at LSU. So I think it's good that Brett recognizes this. Uh, I think it's I, I agree with him that the priorities for him are finishing at the rim, getting the free throw line, making his free throws. And Brett said, oh by the way, if we improve that and he starts making his free throws. He's going to get better as a shooter. It just might not be next year. Yeah, I, I mean, he. Uh, it, it was interesting to watch him in summer league because you know you finally watch him with the Sixers uniform, and you know the, the players are bigger and stronger than they are in college. So he he definitely drove down the left, and you saw him try and finish with his right, and he had a little trouble doing that. They, uh, yeah, it's going to be like. Look, I, I hope people are ready for this next year. Like Ben Simmons is going to have way more growing pains than Joel Embiid next year. He's first off, he's not as good, I don't think. But but more importantly, like his game is a trickier fit. Like teammates adjusting to the, to him are going to have a tougher time, and obviously he's going to need the ball in his hands. And I guess that'll get into our next clip, which is basically Brett talking about him being a point guard, right? And and specifically about defending where he's going to defend, because I think that's going to be a big adjustment too. And and all right, you brought it up. Let's get to the clip. Three clips coming, two from Brett, one from Colangelo. When I say point guard, I mean point guard. You know, who takes the ball out of bounds? Who who receives the ball when the ball goes in the basket? Who brings it up the floor after a free throw? You know, that's not. I'm not talking about Draymond. I'm not talking about LeBron. You know, I'm talking about a point guard. And so I intend on trying this. You always get into conversations, well, that's fine. Who does he guard? I don't see him guarding the opposition's point guard. All right, that was from a podcast Brett did with Woj, and here is from Brett again Friday at uh, at the press conference. Watching Ben develop to, to, to the, the judgment of an off guard because I, I don't really see Ben guarding point guards. Okay, so Brett has been pretty consistent on who he wants Ben guarding. He did at one point, you know, mention the possibility that, that Brett could or that Ben could guard some point guards, but then he clarified a day later that he meant, you know, if, if the other team defends Ben with a point guard, he doesn't want to cross match, but he doesn't then see the other team doing that much. He envisions Ben defending forwards. And then Colangelo kind of contradicted him a little bit yesterday. Uh, I think Ben will show you that he can guard most point guards in this league. He's that kind of a uh, an athlete and, He's got. He showed us that he's got the ability to get down in a stance and with long wingspan and you know a wide base. He's he's got a chance to and, and quick feet. 
he'll be able to do it. It's just learning that, uh, learning the angles, learning the personnel, learning their tendencies. But he's been doing a lot of film study, so he'll probably have a, a leg up on a lot of that. Okay, so I guess real quick, two things on that, and then we'll get more into the, the fit with Ben Simmons and his role next year. Does it concern you at all? First of all, do you agree with Colangelo that he thinks Ben can defend point cards? And does it concern you at all that you know he might be going making decisions based off of something that we don't believe to be the case? I think more than anything, you know, the, the, him contradicting Brett shows that this is going to be tricky. Like, I, I don't think they exactly know what Ben Simmons is going to be. As far as can he defend point guards? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, his effort level at LSU wasn't always great. And it's hard to tell exactly who he can guard. Like, yeah, yeah it's he, he didn't try that hard, but you can tell that he has so much potential on that end with his athleticism. I, I personally tend to think he would be better guarding forwards because he's a very good rebounder. He is an elite rebounder, in fact, for for a power forward. And the best way, I think, for him, at least initially, like, you know, when there's going to be problems in the half court, is going to be when he grabs a rebound off the rim and just goes and just leads the fast break because he's great at that. He's he's basically Dario Saric with speed. And I think that's where you initially want him. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you would hope at least Colangelo would have a clear vision when drafting a player this year because, you know, when he drafts either, you know, Markel Fultz or Malik Monk or Jonathan Isaac or whoever, it's going to be with the fit with Ben Simmons in mind. I mean, it again, it's not like they're going to have to be able to stick to something specifically. You know, it could just work itself out in the floor, but, like, they're going to make that choice with, okay, Malik is going to guard point guards and Ben is going to guard power forwards. Or is it Ben's going to guard point guards? Yeah, so I, I guess it's – I wouldn't say it's a major concern, but it's definitely something to watch. Here's – I just thought it was – it just caught me off guard when he said it because Brett has been pretty consistent the last couple months that, you know, look, Ben's – when I say Ben's going to be a point guard, we're going to have somebody somebody else defending point guards. We're going to have, you know, a, a smaller guy who can shoot, play a combo guard role – for Brian to come out and say that, and you know, he kind of did it unprompted. It was it was surprising. He then also said later on in the in the press conference, and I don't think it was on the same question. I think it was later on, you know, ten fifteen minutes later. But he did say, "Look, if best player on the board is a pure point guard, we're not going to pass on him because of of Ben. We're not we're not going to be scared off by the pure point guard label. What we care about is whether he can shoot and whether he can play off the ball as well." I think that was reassuring, right? Because obviously if you, let's say you, you come to the conclusion that Markel Fultz can play off the ball and, and can shoot and they can work in it, you know, he specifically said he, he doesn't view versatility and playmaking as negatives. So as long as he can play off the ball as well as play on the ball and you draft Markel Fultz, clearly, clearly he's defending the point guard spot or at least allaying the point guard spot. Um, so I think that kind of reassured me somewhat. It was just, like I said, it was, just, it was very surprising. Yeah, and I mean, he did sign Jared Bayless this summer. Correct. So, right. and whether or not you love the Jared Bayless signing, that at least signaled to me that they kind of know the type of player they want around Ben Simmons. So, yeah. I think uh, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I do love every time Brett brings up, oh, he Ben's a point guard. We're we're, we're committed to trying this point guard thing out. <laughs> Everybody freaks out. Like, 
they lose their mind. You're right. He's 6'10". He's a point guard. Are you sure? Let's go, let's write all these articles about it, make a big deal about it. Let's have talk, sports talk radio go talk about it. Ben Simmons is a point guard. Breaking news. If you watched any LSU last year, you knew Ben Simmons was initiating the offense. That's what made him special. You didn't you didn't pick Ben Simmons number one overall to put him in a corner and ask him to shoot or to have him as a big on a pick and roll or post him up. You didn't none of this none of this is why he was the number one pick in the draft. It it shocks me every time and look, I don't know how much if you can give the ball to Ben for, you know, ninety possessions a game and say you're my point guard every possession. I I think there's a case to be made that you might want a second a second point guard or a second initiator on the court with him. That's all fine. And even even Brett's saying that might end up being the case. I don't know if I'm right. But you were always going to give Ben the ball and see how much responsibility he could handle because that's how you best use Ben Simmons. I'm surprised every time this gets brought up, I'm surprised it's such a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it gets brought up by people who I'm not sure have really looked into like positionless basketball or or really thought about what roles are. I mean, because like, think about it. Over the last couple of years, uh, while there was definitely a glaring hole in the ba- Sixers' backcourt, people just wanted point guard. Just those two words, yeah. just for some reason, you know, it, well, uh, it, people just like, want that. I don't understand exactly why, but Brett brought brought this up yesterday, and he was like, "Look, if he was if he was five inches shorter, nobody would be questioning this." And I think you, you can go to James Harden. Does anybody go, "Oh, well, is James Harden a point guard? Is, is, do we have a point guard? Is, should he be playing point guard spot?" No, you just give James Harden the ball. You put him in as many pick and rolls as you can. You space the floor and you ask him to create opportunities. And everybody just accepts that. And that's acceptable for a two guard to play that role where he's initiating the offense. But I feel like we're just not at the point where we accept or expect a power forward to do the same thing. And nobody says, you know, oh, is James Harden the point guard or is Patrick Beverly the point guard? Like, no, that's just, we're beyond that debate. I don't think we're there yet for a 6'10 guy. But I very much think it's 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 similar in that regard. Yeah, and also too, I, I remember from I believe it was the last game in Philly, so I guess that was the Pacers game. Before the game, Brett was asked about Ben Simmons, and he uh, he essentially said like, "Look, like we're going to look to surround this guy with shooting him and Joel." So, I mean, for the most part, even with a couple comments that that definitely made you, were, were cause for at least a little bit of inspection, they. Uh, I, I think they understand what they, they have in these two guys and what they, they need to surround them with. Yeah, I agree. The the other thing, okay, moving off of that slightly, Colangelo specifically brought up finding a power forward and that they need more power forward depth, whether that is somebody better than Dario to start over top of Dario or somebody to back Dario up. That was a, a goal of his, which that kind of took me by surprise a little bit because not because Dario might not start, but because that's, you know, I always viewed Ben as a power forward, or at least that he would play a significant chunk of his minutes there. Like you, I like him grabbing a rebound and pushing the ball. If he can actually defend point guards, well, now you've got a point guard on the floor who can defend point guards and a power forward on the floor who can switch on the point guards. I like I like that flexibility as well. Does it seem to you like they are convinced that Ben Simmons should be defending, even if it's not a point guard like Colangelo said, that Ben Simmons should be defending small forwards? No, the, to your answer, I again, I, I want him closer to the basket. Well, do do, does it sound from everything that they're saying, including Brett? He he mentioned small forwards. Does it sound like that's how they view his role? Because again, they might they might make personnel decisions based off of this by going out and chase and you know pursuing a power forward who can stretch the floor. But 
you know, not all power forwards can then switch forward spots defensively. So that would kind of limit the flexibility you have and where Ben will be. Yeah, and I mean, I forget who it was. It was one of those two guys who said, you know, when he when he ran through the starting lineup, I mean, he, he essentially put Simmons in the point guard spot or the two guard spot or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, again, it, this goes back to Dario's tricky fit with Ben. Like, we love the the passing that those two guys could have, but you know, uh, so much of the modern NBA game comes down to who can you guard. And do I think Ben Simmons could guard small forwards? Yeah, I think there's a chance. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But uh, again, and this <laughs> this gets amplified when, when when he starts guarding point guards. Like this is a guy who didn't get in a stance once at LSU. Right. Like okay, like I do think he has the ability to do this, but the mindset's going to have to kick in too. Right. And it's it's one thing to do that a possession, two possessions, a four minute run, but doing that for forty minutes a night. Because I like I think he's gonna not forty minutes, but you know thirty thirty five minutes a night. That's tough to do, and that's gonna wear him out. And then to ask him to come and initiate on the offensive side of the court as well. That might be a huge ask. Even chasing around a wing, and look, the power forward spot's kind of like a third wing at this point. But there's a little more perimeter still at the small forward spot. Chasing him around off of screens, off of pick and rolls all day, through pick and rolls instead of you know being that big helper on a pick and roll. That could wear him out. And that worries me quite a bit. And look, if you want to say we don't know what we have in Ben Simmons, maybe he'll jump around and play, you know, defend some point guards. Maybe he'll just defend some three. Maybe we'll try him out at the four. I'm fine with that. Like, if you want to say we need to get more information before we really peg him into a role defensively, okay. I'm just worried that they make decisions. You know, if they go out and they get a power forward and more of a strict power forward, somebody who doesn't have defensive flexibility, then you have Dario who doesn't have, you know, flexibility defensively and versatility. Well, now you've kind of you've invested resources into two guys who kind of pigeonhole Ben Simmons into a spot defending small forwards that I'm not sure is his best spot going forward. So it's I have minor concern. You know what? Maybe that means that they'll go out and they'll find you know Jason Tatum or Jonathan Isaac in the draft and a guy like that who has some some versatility defensively. That that would be a little bit more interesting to me. But it is interesting to me that they specifically went out and listed power forward as a priority this season. Yeah, because it, it does go run counter to what uh, what Brian did at the trade deadline when he shipped out Ilyasova. Sure. And, I mean, yesterday he essentially said, I I mean, he didn't say these words because, you know, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be proper to say that, but he basically was like, yeah, I was just concerned about paying him too much money in free agency. Well, so. I mean, that, that kind of begs the question then, if they had agreed on what Ilyasova should make in the summer – would he have kept him here, had two power forwards in Ilyasova and Sharch, and kind of you know had that a situation then that I just described where you're kind of committed now to playing Ben Simmons at the at the three defensively? Like maybe that was in the cards. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great question, and I, I guess to circle back to just the general point, I don't think they should be proceeding as if power forward is a major spot they should be concerned about. Like like you said, if, if they could get Tatum in the draft and, and he's the best guy, great, because I think he can guard multiple spots and play the four. And he might be a, he might be a good player. But like to find essentially like a Band-Aid, like Ilyasova, and target that in free agency as sort of a supplemental piece to help the young guys move forward, I'm, you know, again, if it's, you know, a one-year deal or something like that sure. or that doesn't hamstring you long-term, okay. But, but I certainly wouldn't be uh, – targeting that as something that they need here's my question with Simmons just because just listening you talk about you know him chasing players around screens like 
with that starting lineup, they sort of uh, they sort of laid out yesterday with so with Simmons, Bayless, Covington, Saric, and JoJo. Like, I mean, I guess part of the reason maybe that they would want Ben to guard ones is that maybe the one is like, you know, if you're going to play Jared Bayless, I assume you're going to put him on the best best of the two guards, and you know, Covington, you're obviously going to put on their best perimeter player, whoever that is. So like. You know, is is it a case where you just hide Ben, and if you know it's like a it's like a Rondo type player, a point guard who can't shoot, you just let him play in the lane? I, I don't know, but it's uh you know if you're gonna surround Simmons, I think with players who can defend and shoot, then you might have to pick and choose the play uh where to play him defensively because not every team's best perimeter player plays the same spot. Oh sure, sure, and if you're gonna say that, you know, on certain matchups like Rondo, that's a perfect example. Then Ben might guard, uh, you know, guard basically the weakest player on the perimeter. I can, I can get behind that. It's more a blanket bucket statement that, that I'm concerned about, really. And I guess what I'm, I'm worried about, I'm worried about a power forward version of Jared Bayless. Not yes. a great player, not a starter on most teams, not, but still signed to a three year deal. Because while Bayless fits, because Bayless fits what we've been looking for in a quote unquote point guard, the Paranexus Simmons. I don't think a, a power forward version of that does fit. Totally agree. Do not do not spend big money on a on a stretch four or any guy who can only guard the four because yep. you, I, I think already you have two guys who can soak up those forty eight minutes defensively. And heck, in this draft, there's a good chance you might get another one. So, yep. all right. Uh, one other thing he brought up is extending Robert Covington. I know. Kind of funny because he went and he talked for about 30 seconds about, yes, that's that's a priority that we have for next year. And then he said, oh, I probably shouldn't be talking about it. Well, <laughs> too late. Too late. But somebody, somebody asked him if extending him this summer was a something that was a priority. And I think the rules were actually changing. It used to be you could, a veteran extension that's not a rookie-scale extension. It, it had to be three years from the date that you signed. I think that was changed in the new CBA, CBA to two years, which means he's already eligible I'll have to look that up because I'm not a hundred percent sure, but you know his his uh, his answer was certainly something I think we want to address. And then he you know went on basically said that they want him to be a part of the organization on a longer term basis. Great, I think I think that makes us if if true, and I don't really see why you'd want to put that out there now if it wasn't true. It seems like a good uh you know a good development. Yeah, it was good to hear. They uh, I you know it's. It's not a. Uh, it's not something that I understood why he put out there. Essentially, I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter, right? That that he said that they want to resign Covington, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I was actually reassured by that question, uh, by that answer, honestly, because resigning Covington is something we've said for a while is what they should do, and extending him, you know, it, that could be a way to keep his value down long term. Yeah, they for, uh, for a guy like Covington who's made relative peanuts so far in his NBA career, it would be nice for him to get that kind of financial stability as well. Yeah, and I didn't really read anything more into that. I mean, I'm sure he he backed off the initial statement of, of course, we're very interested to by, by saying, like, all right, well, we can't do anything about it yet because the guy can't sign until, what, like November next year? Well, I think, uh, I think that there might have been a change. And I read somewhere, I haven't gotten it confirmed, I haven't actually looked through the CBA yet, but I think it now might be two years from the, the time it was signed. So I think on the new CBA, he might actually be eligible already. But 
regardless, that, that's almost, I mean, I guess it does factor in a little bit because then you're talking about how much cap space you have because that would be after free agency or before. But they could they could still wait to do it after free agency anyway. So the impact of that change, if it is in fact changed, is probably minimal. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think the only thing I have left is Porzingis. Who, oh, yeah. This was great. <laughs> wow. He refused to attend his exit interview because of the dysfunction of the Knicks, which was, was I think that was, who reported that? Begley? Ian Begley, I believe. Yeah. ESPN. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, you know, a lot of Sixers fans are kind of happy about that because of what happened with Andy Miller and Sam Hankey and him trying to steer Porzingis away from the Sixers. And look, I've always said this. I know this. I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've talked to Porzingis directly. I've talked to people who know. It was never about the Sixers. He didn't dislike the, the team or the rebuild or Philadelphia. It was about his agent trying to get him the, the best spot, both for his own playing time uh, and his, you know, his long-term role with the team and also for a marketing standpoint. So I don't, I don't look at it and say, hey, Porzingis is unhappy. That makes me happy. But it is, you know, it is kind of, it's a little ironic. It's, you know, you your agent forced your way here, and oh, by the way, you're in a train wreck of an organization. Yeah, I mean, I, and like, look, I mean, you know, watching Porzingis' first two years and what a big star he became almost instantly, I, I'm sure, you know, playing in New York definitely helps that. And sure. that that played a major factor. But like you said, and I, again, it, it, was, it wasn't about the Sixers. It was about Nerlens Noel and Embiid. You know, it was it was about the log jam in the front court. That said, like you know, you, you could do your homework and and say like, hey, um, maybe I shouldn't be forcing my way to the organization that James Dolan owns. <laughs> maybe, like maybe you know, th- there could be some unintended consequences there. The uh, I mean, I I think you know, obviously, you know, Sixers fans always play the what if. What if the Sixers had just taken Porzingis? Would Sam Hinkie still be here? Would Porzingis and Embiid just be ruining everybody right now? And then there's also, you know, there's also would the Sixers even have Ben Simmons if Porzingis was here? You, you don't know. They, uh, it's just, I mean, that situation in New York is definitely a train wreck. And you know, I, I think it started yesterday with, I mean, God, Phil Jackson, w- w- the stuff he says publicly about Carmelo Anthony blows my mind. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, man? I and I'm so sick, by the way, of Phil Jackson. Like, I get that he's maybe the greatest coach of all time. And he's won all those games, and you know he, he took multiple teams to championships. That that's great. He has been, besides picking Porzingis, which is not a small thing, has been an absolute disaster yep. running that team. And yeah, if I was Porzingis, I would like to show I'm unhappy too. Unfortunately, there's nothing he can really do about it. Yeah, considering he's about to enter his third year. Yeah, and I mean Sixers. It seems like Sixers Nation, the first reaction is, you know, to kind of be happy that Porzingis is struggling or that the Knicks are struggling because of what happened with uh, with, with his agent. And then the second reaction is like, oh, can we capitalize on this? And I can't. If 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 Phil Jackson trades Chris Stapp's Porzingis, I don't know how he, he, he's not fired. Uh, it would be colossal if he ended up trading the only thing that currently makes that franchise relevant. It um wasn't I don't see part it of happening. Report too? What was that? Wasn't that there was a report about that that he was considering trading him, right? Really? That blows my mind. That would Oh, look, if you want to dream about Porzingis, my concern, I just hope that Embiid and Simmons are good enough and whatever else comes out of this rebuild is good enough 
that Porzingis doesn't become this generation's Paul Pierce and the one that you always kick yourself and that you watch play a game and a style that could have complemented Embiid so perfectly. But look, if he's if he's on the market, certainly the Sixers have more assets to trade than most people. You don't know what what uh, Phil Jackson would be looking for, but I still I can't imagine him actually doing that. Like that would, as much as New York fans killed him for selecting Porzingis two years ago, which you know kind of shows why you don't defer to your fans and 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 fan pressure and all that. But for as much as they killed him for selecting Porzingis, they would kill him tenfold more for trading Porzingis. I I can't. It's it would blow my mind if he did. But that's an interesting report. Yeah, I didn't. I, I'm looking for it now. Maybe, maybe I read it wrong. But he, well, he, he certainly didn't take it. Uh, he certainly didn't. Jackson didn't take trading Porzingis off the table. But that could have just been like a look. You know, if, if well, was anybody, yeah, if if anybody calls, you know, we we have to listen to what they say at least. Well, then he probably tried to do his, his Zen Master bullshit and you know <laughs> try to play head games with Porzingis or some stupid nonsense. <laughs> He, uh, but you know, it's funny. I, I've always been sort of, you know, obviously, like in February when, you know, some Sixers fans talked about, hey, why are we not getting into the Jimmy Butler sweepstakes or the Paul George sweepstakes? My my problem with that would have been, well, one, I mean, you would have needed a guarantee that those guys sort of sign long term here, and especially sure. in the case of George. But the uh, the other thing I was a little worried about was that, like, like Brett Brown said yesterday, like. He's like he was asked how can we improve and he's like you want the honest answer he's like can we get in the time warp and make all these guys 28 years old because sure. that's part of it I mean part of it is just that they have to get older and they have to get more experience they're gonna have to take their lumps in the playoffs for a year or two at least that, that's part of it and I part part of me wonders like well how good is Jimmy Butler gonna be when they're Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are really ready to win and, yep. and that's a question in the case of Porzingis though. Like that's a young guy who you, who can grow with your team. Like, can you imagine trying to play like if Simmons could guard on the perimeter, like pairing him, Porzingis, and Embiid at the same time? I mean, it would never happen. I don't think the Knicks are ever going to trade him. But just the idea of that is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's why it makes makes that what if about the 2015 draft so uh, you know so painful because that they would fit so perfect. And look everybody's going small and going small and going small. And that's primarily so that they can space the floor on offense because it's a lot easier to find shooting when you're 6'6 than it is when you're 7'3. And so that you can cover ground defensively. Well, shit, you could go 7'2, 7'3, and 6'10, and they could still space the floor and they could still cover ground defensively. You could get small ball tenants with guys who are almost literally giants. It would be, it would be fascinating to watch. It would be that, that zig while everybody else is zagging and it would have the, just an, an embarrassment of riches that young teams just don't have, and it would be fun watching them grow together. I was on the radio last night, and they asked me whether I would trade the number two pick and, and Ja for Porzingis. Of course I would. Sure. I, I like how Ja is still included in that, like he's an actual asset. But Porzingis, to me, is easily more valuable than the second pick in this draft, and it would be fun. But I again, I don't I don't see a bidding war actually happening for, for Porzingis. I, wish, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see it. Well, here's a question. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Radio host, whoever that was, followed up on this. Would you trade the first pick, Enja? Okay, that, that's that's more difficult. That I would have <laughs> to think about. As much as I do like Porzingis and combination of the known quality and the uniqueness and the fit of the skill set, 
Markel Fultz really fits well too. That would that would be a much more difficult question. I would have to. I certainly wouldn't commit to that now. So what you're saying is you might take Ja off the table on that <laughs> one. <laughs> they, uh, yeah, no, it, it would be great. I mean, having, I mean, having a seven-two and seven-three guy who both can stroke threes is just, I mean, that's crazy. But again, I, I don't, you know, regardless of how many exit interviews he skips, I Phil Jackson would be absolutely crazy. Like, I, I think, can you imagine if he told James? I again, James Dolan sucks. Like, he's terrible. He's a terrible owner. If uh, if Phil Jackson told him, "Hey, I want to trade Chris Stapps," I'm pretty sure James Dolan would say, "All right, Phil, you're fired." Like I'm pretty I'll, sure be, that would be the correct response. Yeah. So or, if uh, if skipping or, or, the exit interview is a straw that broke the camel's back, then Phil Jackson doesn't have the temperament to be a GM. No. No, and you know, even if he did didn't tell him you're fired, like he would say, "No, that's absolutely off the table." So yeah. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we. Playoffs starting, they actually started while we were recording this. Probably have some awards coming up soon, so we will talk to you soon. But thanks for hopping on, and have a good one. Thanks, man. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and LibertyBroadcast.co. Yeah.